Are there things about Jesus that you don't like? Like the way he doesn't save everyone and hell's real? Are there things about the Lord Jesus that you wish weren't true? I know we're not meant to say things like that, we're in church, but are there things about Jesus and the way he does things that you wish you could change? Because when it comes to Jesus, he says, it's all or nothing. That we can't pick and choose what we like and what we don't like about him. We either take him for who he says he is and what he says he does, or we're not with him at all. Now, it's because of our sinful hearts, isn't it, that we would think that anything to do with the Lord Jesus is bad. Everything about him is good. He's completely powerful. He's always good. and He's always working for our good and for the good of the world. So we should take him, shouldn't we, for who he says he is and what he says he does. And if we do, well, that's going to change everything. It's going to change the way we approach life. It's even going to change the people you choose to talk to. Now, the bit of Luke we're up to this evening starts with Jesus going into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. We saw last week he was tempted by Satan in the desert, and we're up to him leaving the desert and going back into the Promised Land, back into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, in the Bible, people are given the Spirit because they've got jobs to do. Like the Old Testament prophets, they had God's Word to give to people. Or like Jesus, he had to teach Have a look, chapter 4 and verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. See, Jesus taught people all over the place. And Luke has one occasion in mind that he'd like to tell us about. There are plenty of others. He's been all over the place. But this one's a standout. It's the one when Jesus went back to Nazareth, back to his hometown. And Jesus taught them what he had come to do. And this is what he taught them, that he was filled with the Spirit in order to save Israel, that he was going to set God's people free, that he was going to bring in the time of God's favor and God's blessing. Have a look at verse 17. The scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't have been an amazing sermon to listen to. Today. What electrifying words. Today, these these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Those verses that he read are from Isaiah chapter 61. And they speak of this time when God will come and rescue his people. Because Old Testament Israel, they'd been conquered. They were in exile. They were under the rule of foreign nations. It was terrible times for the the nation of Old Testament Israel. Isaiah can describe them as the poor. 
as prisoners, blind and oppressed, bound under the judgment of God at the hands of their enemies. But God promised to end it all. The year of His favor was coming. And that one anointed by His Spirit would usher it in. It would be good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, release for the oppressed. In other words, Israel would be saved. God's people would be rescued. And Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, God's good news, God's freedom and release, they're here because I'm here. I'm here to rescue God's people. You'll be free from your enemies. I'm here to bring in God's glorious rule. You'll be free to serve Him. I'm here to shower you with God's blessing. You'll lap up all His goodness. I'm here to bring you back to God. I'm the anointed one by the Spirit to bring all this in. Now, in the book of Isaiah, there's two figures that are anointed by the Spirit two spirit-anointed figures. There's this Messiah or King, all-conquering, powerful and mighty in chapter 11. And then there's also the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 42 and following. And in Isaiah chapter 61, which is the bit where Jesus read from, these two figures are brought together. The Messiah and the suffering servant turn out to be one and the same person. And it's this amazing Spirit-anointed, servant Messiah that will proclaim God's favor, God's salvation, God's freedom. And Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the Spirit-anointed, servant Messiah to bring in this good news. Can you imagine the Jews in that synagogue on that day? They were thrilled. They loved, they liked Jesus' ideas. Have a look, first half of verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They like what he has to say. And who wouldn't? I mean, Israel's only been waiting several hundred years to hear this news. It's what their whole scriptures point to. It's what faithful Old Testament Israelites have been longing for. It's amazing that Jesus could say that it's all about to come good. They like his ideas, but they don't like his identity. They can't come at Jesus' suggestion that he's the servant Messiah to bring all this in. Yeah, Jesus, it'd be good to have God's favor and his freedom and his blessing and his rule to come back and return to us. But it's a little bit much for you to think you're the one to pull it off. We're excited too, Jesus, but don't get carried away. You're not that much of a big shot. Have a look, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. You see, to the people of Nazareth, Jesus is just a local boy. They know where he lives. They know his dad. Now, sure, he's come good. Back in verse 14, the whole countryside's telling good things about him. But this is Joseph's boy we're talking about. The people of Nazareth, they like his ideas, but not his identity. They liked some things about Jesus, but not everything. To make a school athletics relay team, you're going to have to forgive me, I'm going to reminisce for a bit. Um, you have to come in the top four in the 100 metre sprint. And as a high school, high school kid, my uh, 4 by 100 metre relay team, we made it all the way to the state carnival. 
And we worked hard to get there. Every lunchtime for four months, we would train. And the four of us got along really, really well. So it was very disappointing when the next year at the school carnival, when one of us came in fifth, that meant he'd missed out. Now, the guy who beat him, he liked some of the things about our team. We were pretty successful. But he knew the commitment we had as a team. He knew all the lunch times that he'd have to give up. There were things about our team that he didn't like. And so he pulled out, which we were very pleased about. Now, for the people of Nazareth, there were things about Jesus they didn't like. And so they pulled out. They couldn't come at his identity. And so their initial excitement about Jesus is replaced with mocking. Isn't this Joseph's boy? Well, from here, everything goes downhill and fast. Jesus responds to their mocking by rebuking them. They're guilty of familiarity breeding contempt. They're too familiar with Jesus to recognize his great identity. Have a look, verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. See, they were too familiar with their hometown boy to recognize his identity. And now before we cast dispersions on the Jews of Jesus' day, we need to recognize that, well, we could be guilty of the same thing too, couldn't we? I mean, we come to church each week. We go to our small groups each week. We come to the mob. We all go to conventions. We're hearing about Jesus all the time. And look, that's great. Don't get me wrong. But maybe we need to be careful that our familiarity with the message of Jesus doesn't dull our appreciation of Jesus. You see, we'll never know all there is to Jesus and all that he's done for us. We can always grow in our loyalty to Jesus. We can always deepen our understanding of his love for us. We can always expand our obedience to him. So let's not let familiarity with Jesus breed contempt for Jesus. Let's always want to hear about him and always want to know him more and more that we might truly serve him more and more. Now on top of rebuking uh, the Jews at Nazareth, Jesus has more ideas for them. Before they liked his ideas, but not his identity. But now they're not even going to like his ideas. Back then, Jews hated non-Jews, or, or Gentiles as they were called, as we are called, if you like. And Jesus tells the Jews that the Gentiles are going to grab a piece of the action. Gentiles will be included in God's salvation. Now that's not a popular idea back then. But not only that, not only will the Gentiles get to come in, but they'll come in and enjoy God's salvation when Israel is left out. Gentiles will be enjoying God's blessing. And the Israel and the Jews won't. Jesus says, well, it's happened before and it'll happen again. Have a look. Verse 25. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. The prophets, Elijah and Elisha, 
heroes of the Old Testament. But as Jesus reminds them, both Elijah and Elisha lived during times of Israel rebelling against God. And so they urged Old Testament Israel, return to God. But Israel continued to reject God. And so Elijah was sent to help a Sidonian widow, not a Jewish widow. Elisha was helped, he helped a Syrian leper, not the Jewish lepers. Israel rejected God, and so Gentiles got in for some action. It was Gentiles who enjoyed God's blessings then, not Israel. And by mentioning this, Jesus is saying, it's happening again. By rejecting Jesus, the Jews of his day were rejecting God's favor and God's salvation and God's blessing, which means they're going to miss out. But, Jesus says, the Gentiles will come in and they're going to lap it up. And the Jews in the synagogue hated the idea. They were furious and it was so offensive, they even wanted to kill him. Have a look, verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd on his way. The Jews rejected him, but they didn't get him that day. Yet a day was coming when they would. Right to the end of the book of Luke, the Jews reject Jesus. Right to the end, they want to kill him, and at the end, they do. The Jews have Jesus trumped up on some dodgy charges. They lead him to Pilate, and he's crucified, rejecting God's saviour and God's salvation to the very end. But ironically, it was at his death that Jesus brought in God's salvation. It was at the climax of the rejection and the hostility that Jesus heralded God's favor and God's blessing. There he died to take away the sins of the world, not just the sins of Israel. There he died to bring peoples from every tribe and every nation back to God. He died to bring in God's glorious rule to set people free to serve God, to enable people to enjoy all of God's goodness, to shower people with his blessing, to bring people back to God. And he did it for Gentiles as well as for Jews. Only through Christ's death can we have sin and Satan and death defeated for us like we saw last week. Because of Jesus, we can be made into God's people. We can enjoy God's blessing. We can be brought back to God. The good news and the freedom and the release and the Lord's favour that Jesus, the anointed servant Messiah, came to bring it in, it's for us as well. The heavenly floodgates of God's goodness have burst open. The blessings of God are showering down and the waters are spilling over into every nation. Not just for the Jews, but for the whole earth. The thought of Jesus for Gentiles like us should thrill our hearts. The mere mention of his name should stir our souls. God's glorious rule and his salvation and his blessing all given freely to us through Christ. He truly is good news. Back in Nazareth, back in Nazareth, the celebrations had been put on hold. The Jews of Jesus' day, they liked some of his ideas, but not all of them. They could never come at his identity. But by only liking bits of Jesus, they end up having nothing to do with him. They try and kill him. 
And the lesson that we're meant to learn is, when it comes to Jesus, it's all or nothing. You can't have some bits of him that you like and leave off the bits you don't. It's all or nothing. I don't know. Maybe there's some things to Jesus that you don't like, aspects to Jesus that you're uncomfortable with. We need to think about this, don't we? Because we don't want to make the same mistake as the Jews of Jesus' day. It's all or nothing. Now, the Jews in Nazareth, they struggled with Jesus' identity. They're happy for him to be a miracle worker and a teacher, but the servant Messiah come to bring in all of God's salvation and blessing? Now, most of us here, we'd agree, wouldn't we? Jesus is the servant Messiah. He's the one who suffered and died and rose in glory. Jesus is Lord. He is the ruler over all things. He's in charge of all things. He's the king. Most of us agree, don't we? But when it comes to living this out, do we domesticate his authority? We'll have him rule over some parts of our lives, but not all. So, for example, we're okay with him to tell us to love others, as long as those others are our friends. Surely, Jesus, not the people we find awkward, or the people we find annoying, or the people we don't have anything in common with. We're happy to love the lovely, what about the unlovely? Jesus even says, love your enemies. And look, if Jesus is Lord of all, there's not one aspect of life that's off limits to Jesus. Not one, not, not who we love, not how we use our money, not how we spend our leisure time, not how we raise our kids, or who we marry, or how we speak, how we brush our teeth, how we share our food, how we listen to others, how we play our sport, it doesn't matter. There's not one aspect of life that's off limits to Jesus. He's the Lord, Lord of all. Not Lord of some, Lord of all. And remember, it's all or nothing when it comes to Jesus. Or maybe it's Jesus' identity that you struggle with. Like the Jews of Nazareth, his, sorry, his ideas that trouble you, not his identity. Maybe the idea for the Jews, or the Jews of Nazareth, it was that God's salvation was open to the, all the world. They didn't like that. Now maybe that might be unsettling for you. Could God really be interested in all people? That it doesn't matter where, where they come from, whether they're rich or poor or educated or not, or whether they look like me or not? Now look, in theory, we all agree, don't we? God loves to save all kinds of people. But when it comes to living this out, do we make it look like Jesus is interested in some, but not all? You see, are there people that we're not willing to share the gospel with? That might not might be for a number of different reasons. But we don't get along with them, or they don't get along with us. Maybe you don't tell some people about Jesus because you can't see how they'd ever change. Maybe they're too self-absorbed or they're so wicked, or they're so content. Maybe you don't tell some people about Jesus because, well, you tried it last time and it didn't work. See, as we share the gospel with those around us, does it look like Jesus is interested in all, or just some? Let's not show favoritism. God doesn't. Jesus brought God's salvation for Jew and Gentile, male and female, 
rich and poor, black and white. You like that idea? Do you live that idea? Because remember, when it comes to Jesus, it's all or nothing. You can't have some bits of him that you like and some bits that you don't. It's all or nothing. Now, we also need to remember that taking all of Jesus on board, all of his identity, all of his rule, all of his ideas, that's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. Think of who Jesus is that we've just seen in Luke 4, let alone the rest of the Bible. He's the servant Messiah come to bring God's salvation to the world. He's the one who rose from the dead, bringing freedom from our enemies. He invites us to lap up God's goodness. He frees us to be able to serve God. He brings us back to God. To be loyal to Jesus is to surrender to the one who stopped at nothing to give you everything. All of the Lord Jesus, his identity, his ideas, he is all for our good. So let's gladly give him our